Welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I am the DJ, and with me today I have Devi Boy and the Professor. How are you two gentlemen going? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. We're definitely calling this on a uh, Thursday night. <laughs> oh, they know. We told oh, them. They know. <laughs> oh, <damn. laughs> we told them we were going to be late. Yep. Because <laughs> I went camping. <laughs> And, and I fell went. down a, a riverbank and hurt myself. What? Yeah, so I was out at Christmas Creek on the weekend, uh-huh. and there was a, a bit of the riverbank that was too steep for me to climb up by myself. So my friends were all trying to pull me up, sort of great big enormous turnip style, and then they lost their grip on me. I lost my grip on the branch I was hanging onto, and I fell back down the riverbank and rolled almost into the river. <laughs> Do you not understand physics? <laughs> I do understand physics, but I was pretty desperate to get out of there because I don't want to spend the rest of my life in a creek. Go back to monkey, man. (laughs) Did anyone record this? Unfortunately, no. And I wish they had because it was a great fall. (laughs) See, it would would be a great fall if this was on TikTok. (laughs) I mean, I said it would win um, Finance Home Videos, but then someone reminded me that hasn't been a thing for a few years. (laughs) Ah, <laughs> uh, how about yourself, Debbie Boy? What have you been up to? Oh, not too much, really. Just mainly relaxing, enjoying the holidays. Yeah, speaking of holidays, it's uh, how many days before Christmas again? Like, uh, don't come on, come on, uh, it's not the holidays yet. You can do the maths. Um, <laughs> uh, opens the Windows calendar. Uh, this is mm, we have uh, three weeks remaining. Uh, currently, four twenty something days. I was actually at 17, but close enough. Ah, shit. <laughs> My brain's not functioning right now, man. I can't do quick math. Oh man, so yeah, it's it's insane how many sh- how many people are shopping now more than ever. Yeah, I wonder if the um the crazy shopping is going to be extended at all because of uh, people not wanting to go when it's crowded, or if it's going to be less because people are buying um online. I know Black Friday this year in America had a smaller than expected turnout. Yeah, I was thinking I was thinking it would be a much more um, calm affair for for the lineup because of a uh, coronavirus and how social everyone should practice social distancing that kind of thing. Yeah, you know people aren't going to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Which kind of makes sense. People feel safe here these days because uh, we don't have um, we don't have many cases in Australia, but we should still be you know trying not to get sick. And if people want to stay away from me more, that's totally cool. <laughs> ah, but uh, speaking of people staying away from each other and whatnot, uh, Professor, you've got a story about Metro. They don't stay away from each other in that. They all get close together and go underground because there's not, not a lot of room down there. Yeah, but they die much more quicker when they, when, when they, when they stay together, though. Well, also no, because yeah. in the book, they make it clear that you should travel in the tunnels in a big group because then you're less likely to be taken by whatever um, mysterious thing is going on there. No, 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 just stay in a group of two and have, what's his name? The uh, spiritual guide? Han. Han. <laughs> just have Han yes. come through. This tunnel speaks to me. I mean, that is literally <laughs> one chapter in the book. The other people want to go one way, and Khan says, go this way. And everyone, <laughs> like, a little while later, they hear everyone else dying. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, but... um. 
Foray, the developers behind the Metro games, is having a uh, ha- having their tenth anniversary this week, and they um, so they originally inspired by the original online draft of the book. Dimitri released it for free, so you can go and download a PDF of the book right now and check it out. And I like it; it's different from the games, but it's still worth checking out. But um, so the founders of Foray came from GSC Game World, who developed Stalker. Yeah, and there's an interesting history behind the Stalker and uh, Foray's adventure because there was a fun legal battle at the time. Well, because it was a mess between engines and coders. And if you want to get a better video, there's, there's lots of videos online on YouTube you can watch to check it out. But the company history being over in, is it Ukraine? Based? Uh, yeah. Ukraine, yeah. It's like the, the story of how I actually got the publishing with. Um, who was it? What's the company died? THQ? Yeah, THQ. Uh, you mean Stalker or Metro? Metro. Because it okay, was yeah. basically happened was I think one of THQ's like managers, I believe it was, came down. He was, he was helping Stalker at the time. And then he was walking around the booths. And basically, one conversation happened. And now he, he was like, I can't remember fully. I should have done the uh, refresher course. I <laughs> know, oh, right. Let me find the video. I'll just. <laughs> yeah, so the original story comes from a um, basically a blog post. It's the same way The Martian was originally published, but uh, Dimitri um, wrote Metro 2033 way back in 2002, and it took until 2010 for the game to come out. And in that time, so in the last uh, 15 years, since, well, since uh, 18 years, if you want to go from the original book, the there are a total of three uh, Metro stories. One American uh, story set in America by the same author called The Outpost. And um, a number of, well, there's a whole bunch of them now, but they're called the Universe of Metro 2033 stories. Oh, there's also the comic, The Gospel According to Artyom, which is also by Dimitri and is uh, goes between 2033 and 2034. But after 2033, the games diverged from the books. So they're inspired by them but uh, and share some elements. But there's, um, yeah, it's quite a bit different, uh, especially towards Exodus. And Glukowski has said he's not going to make any more books, but he will keep writing for the... Um, the games, which brings us into the next bit. 4A have just announced that there will be a fourth Metro game. Uh-huh. That's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, now they've got um, the open world stuff going. I wonder if they could... What I really wanted from a Metro open world game was Moscow itself, where you get given missions and travel between the stations and you have to decide, you know, do you take the tunnels or do you go overland to avoid the Nazis or something like that. I mean, with the amount of world building that the author is bringing up, I think it's it's a possibility. Yeah. Dimitri has done a lot of world building. He was actually originally inspired by the Fallout games, which is why it's sort of funny that he's now written um, an American book. Well, yeah, The Outpost, which is an American book in the universe. I, uh, hope, so, he um, I, I hope he didn't play Fallout 76. No, I I don't know if he would. But the other thing that's funny about that is that there's a... Um, well, so the game actually, one of the DLCs of Exodus is one of the characters who's an American who got stuck in the... He was an embassy guard who got stuck in the Metro when, it, um, when the bombs fell. And he decides, you know, they've come this far, he might as well keep going. I haven't played it yet. 
But um, I'd be interested to see if they, if he gets to America and they show what America happened in America in the games. But um, the there was, well, there is going to be a movie. There will be a Metro movie. Uh, they're announcing it. The I think they're planning to release it January first, twenty twenty two. So just over a year away now. But the original movie plans. He's been working with different companies for a few years now. The original movie plan was to transplant it to Washington D.C. <laughs> and Dimitri was just like, "No effing way." <laughs> yeah. So um, he has a. He reckons he can't have Nazis or communists in America. But you know, maybe not the communists, but. I reckon you could get the Nazis. Yeah, a metro, uh, a metro movie though. I mean, uh, I mean, Monster Hunter just recently came out, and that's been <laughs> that's a sh- a shit show. I think Metro works though as a movie because Monster Hunter is high fantasy, right? So it's like, and movies are getting very good at doing high fantasy. At least yeah. the directors and Hollywood users. Like, obviously, Lord of the Rings and things they're good examples, but you know what I mean. It's easy to go to the top. But it's I think- being done by a Russian company though. I haven't seen any Russian movies recently, so I don't know what they're good at. True. I mean, can't be, can't be any bad in Hollywood, can it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so he also made the point that there's a lot of black people in Washington, and although the dark ones are a metaphor for xenophobia, he doesn't really want to make that connection. <laughs> See, that's the, that's the dangers of, of um, sending in your IP into Hollywood. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, from a surface level, you'd think, you know, capital city, nuclear war, um, underground train system, and then there's the secret government trains. Not so secret anymore. We know they're there, but um, there are government trains. I'm pretty sure we know anyway. Um, The Metro 2 in Moscow and the government subway in Washington. So sort of the, um, the surface elements are there, but that would have completely ruined it. Do you reckon the Metro series are trying to copy the Witcher series in terms of how they're trying to expand the universe and whatnot? No, Dimitri's been expanding it for uh, years. He basically made it open. Um, anyone can apply to write a book in um, in the universe. So the uh, yeah. So even though there's only three books by Dimitri and the three games and the comic, um, there's tons tons and tons of books in other universes or other cities which are all quite uh quite popular from what i've heard so he's been expanding it for over a decade now the first uh universe story was road signs which um came out in 2009 which i think um was before 2034 was translated to english Mm. because uh unfortunately we have to wait a few years for it to come across so I got questions. Does that does Metro Last Light line up with the other books in the series? Because Last Light was written for the game itself. Yeah, it wasn't originally so a book. The three books. There's um twenty thirty three, which is close to one to one with uh, the game. Mm-hmm. The game's obviously more action oriented. In the book, Archeom only fires his gun like twice. Actually, a couple more times he fights some mutants, but. Yeah, he, so he only uses the gun a few times, and the game is full of shooting. Um, then 2034 is actually, I'm pretty sure, I haven't read it yet. It's uh, by, well, about a different character. Then 2035 brings it back in with the last light story. And then he's um, decided he's not going to write any more books. So 
the games can go wherever, wherever he wants them to. It gives him a lot of options, doesn't he? Doesn't it? There gives him a lot of options to go where he wants to take the story, wherever he wants, really, because it's like yeah. he's not a, like a lot of writers ridden himself into like a wall. It's like, oh, I don't know where I can take this now, but he's like he's got a whole world to expand on. Oh yeah, yeah and now um, now we know canonically in Exodus. You can leave the metro, so you could have stories like I'm kind of hoping the um, like one of the sequel hooks for Exodus is sort of back to the metro, and I'm kind of hoping that story gets told. But you could tell the story of um, people, more people living out in the you know outside Moscow, um, find out how they handled uh, the war and Moscow going silent. Yeah, definitely. So I think I mean, come on, the, the metro is safe. But it's not exactly safe. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty terrible place to raise a child. You know, there's Mommy, the rats. The sound? The... <laughs> well, we so you just know that. some kid's going to see an anomaly and go, ooh, pretty, and run off and get zapped. <laughs> what are we having for dinner, Mom? Rat. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much how the book goes. <laughs> I mean, um, it's sort of ironic they eat the rats. And um, at the beginning of Metro 2033, in the book, they explain that the um, that Artyom was one of the few survivors of a rat infestation in his home station. So Artyom and uh, his uncle, well, not uncle. Okay, here's something that some people don't get about Exodus. You meet a little kid who calls you uncle. And I've seen a review where they're like, this doesn't make sense. I've known him, known her for five minutes. But the reason is that in Russia, uncle is sort of like um, a bit of an honorific for a man you know and respect. So, yeah, Artyom and his uh, stepfather escape the rats, but his mother gets eaten. Well, fine. So, yeah, that's like first couple of chapters. They explain that. And Hang on, so let's, uh, let's live in the metro. We're going to have massive air vents everywhere. Oh, don't worry. Nothing's going to crawl on them. It's, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, if you survive the Nozalises, there's the anomalies. There's the uh, thing in the Kremlin. There's D6, which is full of bioweapons. <laughs> and then there's the dark ones who want to reach out to you, but will accidentally kill you because they can't control their t- psychic powers. <sighs> Look, the Metro is not great. Outside the Metro is not great. Let's just try not to have a nuclear war because neither option's great. Look on the bright side. At least it's better than living in a submarine. Yeah, they um, they do mention that in the book that uh, there might be a couple of submarines still going around. <laughs> but but here's a question though: Are they better than the Chinese submarines? One thing before we move on, DJ. Nice segue, but one thing to go. <laughs> the scariest thing about their next Metro game: multiplayer. Oh. What, what, but he's thinking that multiplayer could work, though. I mean, look at Gears yeah. of War with the, with the multiplayer option. Well, It could. Um, you know, there is a way to do multiplayer well in Metro, whether that's to have the, um, you know, a separate cooperative story um, or a... They say that it won't prevent them from doing single-player stories. So, you know, they're still figuring it out and experimenting. But I, I really want to see what they do because I trust them to pull it off right. But they promise it's not going to be a box tick. Like, um, do you remember Spec Ops: The Line? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has this really, um, really intense storyline, and then has a multiplayer mode just because the publisher said they had to. <laughs> well, are you excited, Debbie? Oh, definitely. I definitely want more games in the series. So bring it at me. <laughs> yeah. Did you uh, ever finish Last Light? No, I haven't started yet. Shame. You got to catch not- up. 
I want to save it until I feel in the right mood. Yeah, me too. That's why it took me so long to get to uh, Exodus, even though it's been out for a little while. Well, you can enjoy all that in a in a lovely Chinese submarine. DJ, you're going quiet again. Oh, yeah, that's true. Ah, you can enjoy all that in a lovely Chinese submarine where they can where you can live stream footage in a new man submersible parked at the bottom of the Mariana Trench. So can I live stream that footage right now? Possibly. You're supposed to know what's in your articles, DJ. <laughs> Yeah, they yeah, they have live they they've live streamed the footage of the submersible being going parking underneath the Mariana Trench. So the summer, submarine name, which is the Fendalzi or Striver, descended more than ten thousand meters into the submarine trench in the Western Pacific Ocean with three researchers on board uh, on board. So uh only a handful of people have visited this and um and it's deeper than Mount Everest. And it's more than 2,550 kilometers long. It's a big hole. Like, you think the Grand Canyon's big. That's nothing compared to the Mariana Trench. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, they uh, didn't quite set the uh, world record, though. Nah, they didn't. Oh, it did, it, actually, it, it, earlier this month, it set the national record, though. Yeah, which is <laughs> 20 meters short of uh, an American record from 2019. Yeah. Kind of uh, surprised China didn't really push it just to beat that. <laughs> Like, being in a submarine is scary because it's underwater and anything goes wrong, you die. Being in a submarine that far underwater, there's so much more that can go wrong. What is, what, that, um, what, what is it, that classic line? Um, in space, no one can hear you scream. Yeah, in the Mariner Deep, no one will hear you scream because you will be crushed instantly. Uh, yes, but, uh, but deep it's cool. ocean exploration is cool. Yeah, but it's cool how they do it. They um that it was all video, fe- um all vi- live video from the yeah. trench. I mean, yeah, there's not a like there's not a whole lot of what we recognize instantly as life down there. But no one's been down there to really look for it. So you see, um, you know, there's single cell life, but not much large stuff. But you can't find it if you're not looking. So go and look. <laughs> this is where we find the aliens. It came from the abyss. It came from the abyss. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I bet it's also going to be part of research into deep sea mining. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Beijing this month will be setting up a joint training and research center with the International Seabed Authority, which will train professionals on deep sea technology as well as reaching uh, researching mining for valuable materials at the bottom of the ocean. Um, it's expected to set standards for China's future deep sea vessels. Oh, that's going to be fun. So, yeah, um, what I'm also thinking of here, there's, so there's community projects to build rockets. How long until there's an open source deep sea drone? (laughs) The difficulty is control is much harder in the ocean because the water absorbs basically any sort of uh, radio, radio control you might use. Not only that, though, the turbulence on uh, in, in water is m- more unpredictable than in the sky. Yeah, um, I guess it could be. Although, if there's a storm on the surface, a submarine goes down because the storm won't disturb the water. But if there is a some sort of storm underwater, it would be more likely to push you around because the water's denser. Yeah. There's also the probability um, that... C- but you might get some um, interference from creatures like uh, like um, squids and whatnot. Yeah, squid. They're so smart, but so delicious. Mmm, <laughs> calamari. Yep. Same with octopus. 
I have a theory. The more intelligent something is, the better it tastes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I feel human. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get me some of that hawking jerky. <laughs> but seriously, uh, octopus, pigs, <laughs> and um, there's the idea that human tastes like pig based on what the cannibal tribe said. Oh, lovely. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you freaked every boy out. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not going to eat you. Otherwise, I'd be left alone with DJ again. <laughs> oh, we can't have that, can we? Yeah, but then the, the bright side is you'll be you'll be going on Reddit. You'll be going on Reddit making AMAs, uh, saying like, "What was the experience like eating Devi Boy?" There's actually that guy on Reddit who did an AMA about eating his foot. Really? Yeah, that he lost it in a motorcycle accident and <laughs> was allowed to take it home and decided, you know, I'm going to get some friends around and we're going to make a bit of a meal out of it. <laughs> so they had foot taco. Oh. <laughs> anyway, so uh, we're overfishing the surface water. Let's see what we can find at the bottom to eat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say this, Ellie. Well, I hope we can find some um, very, very rare comic books down in the down, wrapped in plastic down in the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> okay then. So, um, um, legendary X Men writer Chris Claremont, the um, greatest living book writer in existence, he um, he wrote stories such as the uh, Uncanny X Men, and um, also wrote the Dark Phoenix Saga, the Days of Future Past, and um, also collaborated with John Brain. He um, developed the character Wolverine into the, a fan favorite. Um, he recently stopped by Reddit's um, r slash comic books community for an AMA. And he's got, and he was approached by some very interesting questions. So one question that was asked was, are there any Marvel characters he hasn't written that he'd like to? And his uh, answer uh, was, off the top of my head, I can't think of any major Marvel characters I haven't written, he said. I mean, in a practical sense, writing a character does a, doing a guest appearance is easy, but getting into their head and get into their heart, defining their life is very hard. There's a lot I would yeah. like to have. Like I mean, I can understand getting stuck with a, like, he's basically saying he got typecast. Yeah, right. His typecast is the, uh, the mutants guy. <laughs> you there. Are you green? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard to write, make characters and whatnot. Like, imagine trying to try, trying to figure out in just one in, in just like one sitting what the character's psychology will look like, what the character's um, looks will look like, what's the backstory like. Like, it must be hard for you, like as game developers, to try and create a character for your games, wouldn't it? Yeah, creating unique characters is tricky. I've like never really done it, but it's hard to have a unique voice for each character from just my little experiments with writing. What's the biggest trap you guys have encountered when it comes to writing, um, making making slash writing characters? Well, I think it's hard to... Um, yeah, the hardest part is having each character have a voice. I'm, I think the next hardest part for me would be um, coming up with characters who are actually different. Like, they also... When I'm writing, all the characters in my writing tend to sort of blend together and they all sound the same, which is what I mean by the voice. But um, then there's, when I'm coming up with characters, you know, why add an extra character when I could do it with this one? And then you end up, sometimes I've ended up with multiple characters who basically fit the same role. Have you done any writing, Devi? I have as well. I mean, the hardest part is trying to make each character distinctive. Because, <laughs> like, you can get into a flow of making writing everyone the same. 
So that's probably like the hardest thing I'd say. You gotta like, um, yeah, it's the hardest thing you gotta always watch out for when you're writing, which I understand when you're writing that many movie scripts as possible, you can just get into a flow, a bad flow. Like a good flow would be writing more differently, but that's difficult depending on how complex their personalities are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so a couple more other questions were also asked by uh, asked to Chris Claremont as well. Um, one of them was um, so asked about some of his fondly remembered Claremontism, like the focus totality, my power, <laughs> totality, my powers. Uh, he talked about comics uh, exclamations in general. So it's basically probably not as much as I used to, but I suspect the advantage of not being on, on a monthly or bi-monthly deadline means I can proofread a little more enthusiastically than I did back then. I'm going to, I, I'm just going through a story here with a new anthology that Sean Chen and I are working on, throwing out repetitive words here and there, making more expletives, a little more palatable. You know, after you know, after that 150,000th times, uh, Luke Cage says, "Sweet Christmas!" Exclamation mark. You really want to try find a better way of expressing frustration, which me, which of course means going uptown in New York and hear pe- hear what people say. He continued, "It's sort of like going around and saying sweet Caesar or holy cow." You know, it's <laughs> more, it was a, a it was a more innocent day, and we really did not know what we're talking about. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, oh. yeah, I reckon. Um... It's good to have a bit of extra time to let things marinate. Yeah. Do an extra couple of editing passes, come up with some more interesting things for them to say. Um, the, then Claremont was also asked an important question. So when asked about the whether the plot should drive characters or characters drive the plot, uh, Claremont gave, gave an e- easy answer. Uh, his answer was, stories derived from characters are more fun. Plots can be predictable. It doesn't mean that they they have um, value or can be fun. It's just that if you're building off a character, you can catch the reader by surprise because the writer can be caught by surprise. If it's just, how are we going to break into this vault? It's been it's been there, done that kind of thing. How many times can Galactus take over the world becomes before it becomes repetitive. Um, and he continues on saying, I'm reading over Marvel Made Anthology where Rachel confronts her time as a hound while trying to save the world, he continues. There's a full page and double spread sequence where John Romita Jr. Um, just blew off the walls of the building. It's wonderful looking at it, but it's all it's all about the characters and the relationships behind, between them and the choices made all the, all the way. While Rachel goes up all her friends and asks them to save the world and asks them to die, they all said yes, knowing that they won't come back. And they trust her and say yes. But Rachel da- has doubts along the way. Am I psychotic? What if I'm wrong? I'm killing my friends. I'm destroying my fr- my family. Is this the right thing to do? Uh, just teenage angst. Get over it and kill everyone. <laughs> <laughs> ah. But, uh, it, it, and he ends up by saying, um, to me, this is storytelling, he concludes. Instead of giving readers the cliche of fight, 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 it's like, what's going on beneath the hood? What's going on with Spider-Man or his relationship with MJ? The Fantastic Four trying to keep themselves from growing broke. That, to me, is cool stuff, you know? We all know, at least in the days of Comics Code, the heroes will win every time. But there's a lot more that can go beneath the service during the fight, after the fight, that readers might find interesting. And as a writer, that's the ocean I would I want to fish in. And I figure, egotistically, that if I'm having fun, then the readers are too. That's a good thought. That's a good way to go about things. True, that's true. But in terms of um, for the that's an interesting thing. Like I, I try and compare that logic to manga logic, and I think manga has done that a lot more. 
Now I think about it. Wait, what were you saying that? Like the trying to explore the characters in terms of like the before the fight and after the fight and how they like what's the inspiration before the fight? Like look at um. Uh, I think I think it depends on the genre. Yeah, because like a lot of uh, shonen anime, anime, manga, and stuff like that, they also put slice of life elements in. Yeah, I mean, there is some that are just purely action based, but like it has a slice of life genre tag to it. And that's yeah, it gives more depth into the behind the scenes of the character. Yeah. A- anyways, um, we should move along. Uh... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Debbie boy, what have you been playing? Ah, Noi Yakuza. Oh, nice. Noi Yakuza Kimoe 2. I've always finished it, but there's so many side quests, man. I can't, I can't. It takes forever. Gotta see everything. How many percent? Uh, how many percent of the game have you finished? Basically, ninety percent. Basically, getting very close. Uh, have you encountered any flaws um, during the game during the last few days of play? No, I think it's still what I had last time. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like I think it was five out of five. But it is insanely good. It's very fun. Uh, so, Professor, where have you been playing? Metro Exodus. Oh, nice. No, nice. I'm messing with you. <laughs> I um no, I haven't decided to get around to the um DLC yet. I've been playing Noita. Noita is a I think it's made in Finland because the enemies have Finnish names. You can tell because it's got lots of K's in it. But do you remember games like um Powder Toy? Yes. It's that, but as a magic roguelite. Okay. So you play as a some sort of wizard with mm-hmm. some wands, and you can find like there's basically infinite combinations of wands. You can edit them, add more spells and stuff. Um, some of them explode, so you can tunnel. It's yeah, basically, um, it's got some really nice digging mechanics and. All the liquids and stuff are really fun to play with. So if you um, set something on fire, it will burn. And if you, you know, you can fill a jug with oil and throw it at an enemy and set them on fire. Or you can um, summon a rain cloud to put out a fire. Use your water jug to dilute toxic um, slime. So it's kind of like if you took the... uh, Elements of a falling sand game like Powder Toy and mm-hmm. added, um, yeah, added roguelite to it. Well, interesting I, trivia. I'm, I'm, very, I'm like, sorry, sorry. Um, I'm just so confused about how the roguelite like works into the concept. Okay, so there's a randomly generated map, and oh. you explore that and fight the enemies and collect different ones. Okay. But uh, you can then interact with the map by using your powers. Oh, okay. So, so it doesn't all collapse uh, straight away. I, I see the um, uh, comparison to Power Toy now. Yeah, so, um, you know, sand will flow if you dig a hole underneath mm. it. But, um, yeah, not everything will collapse. So there's rocks, um, rocks, treasures. Uh, you can find giant tanks of whiskey, which will get you drunk if you jump in them and drink them. Interestingly, can, the, uh, the graphics, oh, interestingly, the graphics reminds me of Lyrio. 
Lero, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, kind of similar to that, but with more advanced physics. Yeah. I really recommend it if you're into roguelites, because it's just really fun just, um, you know, going into a, a map and running around, blowing stuff up, fighting enemies. Because a big fight in a particular cavern will affect the the land around you. Mm. So uh, are there any flaws that you've encountered in this game? Yes. Um, it's hard to tell what things do because um, a lot of things are written in Finnish and it follows the roguelite uh, tradition of not actually telling you anything until you find out for yourself, uh, which yeah. isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I know that's not to some people's taste. Any other flaws? Um, no, actually, it went 1.0 recently, and I think it's pretty solid. There's not um, any bugs that I've run into that I can think of, except for the spiders. <laughs> and, uh, what, are the, what are the spiders do to you? Oh, they're, they're actually not too bad. They're just tiny little uh, spiders that jump at you. No, oh, I see. Not like the ones in Metro that crawl over your face. So <laughs> we, got a, we have a bit of a thing for spiders in the show. Yeah, well... You know, I've realized that you don't like spiders, and I'm going to take every opportunity to mention them. Oh, God damn it. Kill it with with fire. Kill it with fire. Yes, you can do that in this game. (laughs) Yes, just get to... (laughs) Just Uh, turn the entire cave into fire. Use use an oil jug, throw it in there, and ignite it, and kaboom. I've been playing um, Eternal Return Black Survival. Ah, It sounds like a mouthful. It is a mouthful. So it's a combination of MOBA, Battle Royale, and Survival. But, uh, yeah, you got, you, the MOBA section is basically you can select your character. The uh, Battle Royale part is you craft um, you craft stuff and um, you make stuff just to upgrade your character. So it's not like at the start of a MOBA, you go to the store and you get you got enough coins and you can buy all buy that cool material this one is basically you make it yourself and you have to forage every bit of the map just to make like a weapon or something or anything like that and survival is basically last man standing ah the classic yep so fortnite oh not really the graphic style for this one just reminds me of um league of legends okay so cartoony ish yeah as it's written and it's made in Made um in Korean, as well. Oh, and uh, you can and it, as a, in classic MOBA fashion, you also have uh, a- animals to um to hunt as well. You also have uh special techniques as well. So yeah, it's a fun game. But the problem is like not many people play this though. Like in in terms of local service, like like for for example, if you're playing in Dota, like it doesn't go to doesn't go to like the server that has like a lot of people and play it. It's just random server, and some I think some of them are bots, but yeah. Mm, yeah. <clears throat> That's the hard thing with a lot of online games that have big communities. And bots are, you know, decent enough that you're probably not going to notice that it's not a real player these days. In fact, there's a little bit of a, an argument for making multiplayer games without multiplayer. Because why would you play League and get abused by your teammates when you could play League without teammates? <laughs> Uh, play League when you control everyone else. Bot 34, you're really starting to piss me off. I'm going to make you die. <laughs> Please delete. Yeah, yeah the crash talking's just not the same. Yeah, I know. But yeah, this game's a, a fun fun, fun game to play. check out if you're uh, interested in some um, MOBA-style uh, Battle Royale games. 
if you want to take a break from Fortnite, this will be, this will one, this will be one of those games. So uh, on to our shout-outs. On the 30th November 2020, the 30th anniversary of the Sega Mega Drive re- was released in Europe. So in 1990, it, it was distributed as the Mega Drive by Virgin Mastronic, Mastratronic in um, Europe, in the United Kingdom and Republic of Ireland. It was priced at $189.99, oh no, actually £189.99 shillings. The first shipment of 30,000 units was sold at retailers Comet, Dixons, Rumble Rouse, and Toys R Us. The port of arcade titles like Altered Beast, Golden Axe, and Goose and Ghouls available in stores at launch provide a strong image for the console's power to deliver an arcade-like performance. Good times. That was, that, was that was a good console. It's funny how back then they wanted to be like arcades, but modern games are so completely removed from arcades. Yeah. Just a bit of an example of the development of gaming. On the 30th November 2020, the 20th anniversary of PlayStation 2 is released in Australia. The PS2 is a home video game console developed and marketed by Sony Company Entertainment. It is the successor of the original PlayStation as well as the second installment of the PlayStation console lineup. Over 2 million PlayStation 2 consoles have been sold in Australia to date. Sony Australia reported that 20 to 25 PS2 titles will be released for launch in Australia coming November 30th, with a total of 40 games coming at the end of the year. Our objective is to have as much stock as possible available before we launch PlayStation 2 in Australia, as feedback from consumers indicate there will be a strong demand for the new computer entertainment system, says Michael Eprin, Managing Director of SCE Australia. (laughs) Gee, shame they didn't take that uh, thought on to the PS5. <laughs> See, PS5 games, like for example, the, one of the first games that came out, Godfall, it was just basically, ooh, look at the next gen graphics, and that's it. No, I mean the whole thing about keeping it in stock. Yeah. <laughs> that too. What stock? <laughs> oh, yeah, what stock? Have you heard the latest one with um, apparently like people are now robbing vans to get PS5s? Honestly, it's so stupid though, because like, I know, okay, get the new console, great, but it has no value right now, how little games it has. It's like, just wait, guys, calm. Also, I bet Sony keeps track of each um, serial number that gets stolen. (laughs) So, you know, you ever log into that with your PSN account, it's got your address on it. And my personal favorite is apparently some man, he, he paid like 900 bucks for a PS5 on eBay, and he got a cinder block for it. <laughs> yeah, it was about like a couple, it was a couple weeks ago now, wasn't like tons of people are buying PS5s online. Actually, I saw a day, someone paid like $500 for a PS5 with, um, it lives on eBay, PS5 image, photo paper image. <laughs> In the description and the title, very clearly saying it was an image. Someone bought five hundred dollars. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> People are just that desperate, man. Oh god! All right, and uh, on the first of December, twenty twenty, the twenty fifth anniversary of Worms on the Amiga. So Worms is a 2D artillery tactical video game developed by Team 17 and released in nineteen ninety five. It's the first game in the Worms series of video games. It is a turn based um, where turn-based game where a player controls a team of worms against another team of worms that are controlled by a computer or human opponent. 
Uh, Worms was the brainchild of Andy Davidson, a then-unknown computer shop employee and a fan of Amiga com- microcomputers who began work on the project in 1990 under the name Artillery, based on the previous tank games from the 8-bit era using a Casio graphing calculator as an exp- experiment for his amusement. Davidson renamed this project from Artillery to Total Worm Age, pro- possibly in reference to Midway's Total Carnage, featuring 55,000 levels and publication compared it to both Lemmings and Cannon Fodder due to its visual style and thematic, which Team 17 project manager Marcus Dyson claimed said Cross was planned from start. The object and landscape sets used to, to generate the fields are arranged in thematic include forests, m- Martian terrain, speeches, and hell. It was a financial success, and the sales have reached 250,000 copies following its release in 1995. It was included as one of the titles in the 2010 book, 1001 Video Games You Must Play Before You Die. That was a fun game. Uh, On to our remembrances. 30th November 1761, John Dolland, an English... Optician, um, known for his successful optics business and his patenting and commercialization of achromatic doublets. In 1758, he published an account of some experiments concerning the different frangibility of light, describing the experiments that led him to the achievement with which his name is specially associated, the discovery of means of constructing achromatic lenses by com- combination of crown and flint glasses. In the late 19- 1750s, Bass told Dolland about Hall's design. Dolland saw potential and was able to re- reproduce them. He died from apoplexy at the age of 55 in London. 30th November 1934, Helene Boucher. A well-known French pilot in the early 1930s who set several women's world speed records, including one which was a world record for either sex. During the 1933 and 1934, she set several world records for women set set out. Exceptionally, she held the international male or female record for speed over 1,000 kilometers, which is 621 miles, in 1934. Most of the records were flown in Renault-powered Caldron aircraft, and in June 1934, the Renault company also took her temporarily under contract in order to promote the new Viva Grand Sport. And man, some of the records she made were, were amazing, like a record high for a woman of 5,900 meters. Um, she also set the international speed over 1,000 kilometers of 409.184 kilometers per hour, and also the woman's distance over the year, and on the same day, speed over 100 kilometers of 412.371 kilometers per hour. She also set a woman's speed record of 445. 28 kilometers per hour on the 11th of August. Uh, she died from an accident at the age of 26, flying a Caldron C.430 Raphael near Versailles, where the machine crashed into the woods. Posthumously, she was immediately made a knight of the Légionnaire d'Honneur and was the first woman to lie in state as at Les Invalides, where her funeral obsque- obsequies were hurled. Yeah, it's um, you'll notice something. People who tend to set world speed records tend to die young. But, you know, this is still a bunch of cool records. I'm not criticizing her. I'm just pointing out a lot of them die in their 20s. Oh, there was a recent one that I think, oh, what? There was a Mythbusters um, woman that did a speed record. She died. Yeah, one of their um, temporary hosts when, I think it was when Carrie was on maternity leave. Yeah. They uh, had an extra host who died just, uh, we we included her in the show notes. She died uh, a year or so ago from a high speed car crash in a, 
record attempt. Yeah, and then they posthumously gave her that record. Yeah. I mean, is there any requirement that you're alive when you make the speed? No, not really. I have an idea to get my name in the books. <laughs> On the 30th November 2003, Gertrude Elderly, American comp- competition swimmer, Olympic champion, and former world record holder in five events. On the August 6, 1926, she became the first woman to swim across the English Channel. Other nicknames, the press called her the Queen of the Waves. In 1925, Elderly turned turned professional the same year she swam 22 miles from battery park to sandy hook in seven hours and 11 minutes a record time which stood for 81 years before being broken by australian swimmer tammy one van weiss her successful channel swim the t- this time training with coach bird bill burgess who had successfully swum the channel in 1911 began approximately one year up as cape Grizz nez in france se- at 708 in the morning of august 6 1926 so she swam ashore at Kent, Kensdown, Kent, 14 hours and 34 minutes later. Her record stood until the 1950s, which, were, which was at 13 hours and 20 minutes. Um, she wore motorcycle goggles to pro- protect her eyes from salty water, and, uh, but that didn't work because uh, her goggles sealed with paraffin to reduce them, render them watertight. And she did the second attempt, and the second attempt was really, co- was really interesting because... Uh, when she finished, the, when she, as she was swimming, her trainer was going like, Hey, Gertie, you must come out, which the swimmer lifted her head from the choppy waters and replied, What for? The first person to greet her was a British immigration officer who requested a passport from the bleary-eyed, waterlogged teenager. She was actually 20 and not a teenager. She died at the age of 98 in Wackoff, New Jersey. Um, famous birthdays. In the 30th of November, 1756, Ernest... Ch- Chaldini, I have, I have that's such a bad name. Ernest Florenz Frederick Kladni, uh, German physician and mu- physicist and musician. Most important work for which was labeled the father of acoustics, including research on vibrating plates and calculations on the speed of sound for different gases. He also undertook pioneering work in the study of media- meteorites and is regarded some of some as the father of meteorotics. Chaldini's uh, technique first published in 1787 in his book Entdeckungen über die Theorie des Klagnis, which is the translation for discoveries in the theory of sound, consisted of drawing a bow over a piece of metal which surface was lightly covered with sand. The plate uh, was bowed until it reaches resonance where the vibration causes the sand to move and concentrate along the nodal lines where the surface still outlined the, nod- outlined the nodal lines. He was born in Wittingen, Saxony, which is now known Witten- Wittenberg, Saxony, and Halt, Germany. On the 30th November 1835, Mark Twain, Samuel Lang- Langhorn Clemens, known by his pen name Mark Twain, was an American writer, humorist, entrepreneur, publisher, and lecturer. He was lauded as the greatest humorist the Amer- United States has produced, and William Faulkner calls- called him the father of American literature. His novels included The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and its sequel, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, the latter often called the greatest American novel. Twain's last work was his autobiography, which he dictated and thought thought would be the most entertaining if he went off on whims and tangents in most non-chronological order. Some archivists and compilers have rearranged the biography into a more conventional form, thereby eliminating some of Twain's humor and flow of the book. The first volume of the autobiography, over 736 pages, was published by the University of California in 2010. 
100 years after his death, as Twain wished. It soon became an unexpected bestseller, making Twain one of the few authors publishing new best-selling novels in the 19th, 20th, and 21st century. He was born in Florida, Missouri. That is awesome. Imagine like getting your work done after 100 years after your death. Is that the, who's the lady who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird? Harper Lee. Yeah, because they released well, the second part of that book. Oh, yeah. The Ghost had a Watchman. Ghost Watchman. She never really wanted that one to come out, I think. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The 30th, uh, oh, on the 30th of November, uh, 1929, Joan Jans Cooney, American te- uh, television producer. She's one of the founders of Sesame Sesame Workshop, uh, formerly Children's Television Workshop or CTV, the organization famous for the creation of the children's television show Sesame Street, which was also co-created by her. In 1966, uh, Cooney hosted for what she called a little dinner party at her apartment near Grand Macy Park. In attendance was her then-husband Tim Cooney, her boss Louis Friedman, and Lloyd Morissette, an executive at Carnegie Corporation, in which the potential of, TV, of television to teach young children was discussed. Cooney was chosen to oversee and direct the creation of what eventually became the children's television program Sesame Street, which premiered in 1969, and the CTW, the organization that oversaw its production. Sesame Street uh, premiered on PBS on November 10, 1969. Its first season, the show won three Emmy, a Peabody, and was featured on the cover of Time magazine. She was born in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, On to our events of interest, 30th November 1934, the LNER Class A34472 Flying Scotsman become the first steam locomotive to be authenticated as reaching 100 miles per hour. While the Great Southern Western Locomotive uh, City of Truro had previously been unofficially timed at running in excess of 100 miles per hour, which is 160.9 kilometers per hour. 4472 became the first steam locomotive to be officially authenticated at the speed on November 30th, November 1934. The LNER class A34472 Flying Scotsman has set records and traveled the world. The rail industry in 1920s and 1930s was competing the new rail roadways for passengers, meaning that keeping up a reputation for speed and efficiency was extremely important. On the 30th of November 1954, in Silacauga, Alabama, the Hodges meteorite crashes through the roof and hits a woman taking taking an afternoon nap. With this, the only documented case in the Western Hemisphere of a human being bit, um, hit, being hit by a rock from space. The uh, cycl- the Silacauga uh, meteorite is the first documented extraterrestrial object to be to have injured a human being. The grapefruit-sized fragment crashed through the roof of a farmhouse, bounced off a large wooden console radio, and hit Hodges while she napped on a couch. The 34-year-old woman was bruised on one side of her body but was able to walk. The event received worldwide publicity. The meteorite was confiscated by the Cycluga police chief, who then turned it over to the Air Force. Yep. How unlucky (laughs) would you have to be? I mean, what are the odds get hit by that? There must be like one in how many billion? Well, considering this is the only documented case, a lot. Um, on the 30th of November 1982, Michael Jackson's sixth solo studio album, Thriller, is released worldwide, ultimately to become the best-selling record album in history. Thriller was released on November 30th, 1982 by Epic Records and initially internationally by CBS Records. 
It peaked at number one on Billboard's Top LPs and Tapes chart in February 26, 1983. Thriller sold one million copies worldwide per week at its peak. It is the sixth best-selling album in the UK. By the end of 1983, Thriller has become the world's best-selling album, having sold 32 million copies. It remains the best-selling album of all times, having sold over 66 million copies worldwide. Billy Jean, not my love. Sorry, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> That's right. YouTube is coming after you. You shall be banned. <laughs> hey, so, I love the song. Hey, it was how good. dare you recite the lyrics? <laughs> we'll find you. Uh, the uh, 30th of November 2002, Interceptor Force 2 premiered on television. The feature, uh, the feature, a sequel to 1999 sci-fi channel telefilm, Interceptor Plot. In the not too distant future, a new team of this hostile alien encounter when an alien scout ship crashes in eastern Russia. Sean Lambert and his elite force are dispatched to investigate. They come face to face with a seemingly invincible, seven foot tall, shape shifting foe hell bent on blowing up a Russian nuclear power plant in an effort to destroy mankind through a nuclear winter. The stakes become personal when an alien discovers it was Lambert who killed its mate four years ago. A major battle ensues as the interceptor team look to save the Earth from alien annihilation. Though the film is ostensibly based in Russia, all of its soldiers were wearing Bulgarian uniforms. So uh, that's all we have for this week. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, you can also find us on that'snotcanon.com where we have an archive of our old episodes. And you can also find some um, new po- new That's Not Canon podcasts, such as... Have you seen Twin Picks? No, no. Twin Picks. No, Twin Picks. It's a um, a new That's Not Canon podcast okay. <laughs> where three siblings yeah. review two movies and pick one winner. <laughs> and I like their um, their banner. It's yeah. got the, the twins from The Shining with like <laughs> Coke and uh, popcorn from the movies outside a movie theatre. So no wonder it definitely was a reference to the Twin Peaks. It makes sense now. No, Twin well, Peaks like, is uh, David Lynch. No, no, but it's like they're reviewing movies and stuff. Oh, so it's uh, yeah, that makes sense. They got me. They got the re- They got me hooked already. <laughs> Come play with us. Come play with us. What? Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. That that's all we have. Uh, stay hydrated. Keep take care of yourselves, and uh, see you next time. Bye bye. We'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.